Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Well, you've done it. You've made it through the treacherous season of Reairs, and season two is right around the corner. How very exciting. Um, we are also very close to having Megan back, who you won't actually hear for a while on the episodes, uh, since I recorded a bunch of them solo, but in real time, she'll be joining us very soon, as our wonderful Ellen Frost is back from her maternity leave, and Megan can step back into her usual role. It is a very cool thing. I've been reflecting on this recently at MTCA, seeing all of the families that have started. I mean, I started on this team at a very, very, very young age. Um, but really, all of us were pretty early in our careers and our lives at the time, right? Not a lot of people had kids or were even married. And then to see the number of MTCA coaches who have gotten married, some of them have married each other, um, had kids, some of them with each other. Um, we've had a number of babies in the past few years. I think we've had like five babies in the past two years. Um, it's just really exciting. Um, seeing our students become valued members of our team as admin, you know, some of them podcast producers and coaches, and then seeing our team just continue to grow in all of these ways. Um, it warms the cockles of my heart. I'll say it that way. Um, I do think you're really going to enjoy this last re-air episode with Anna Lee Ashford. If you haven't caught it already, it's, uh, I think, a really great one, and she's just wonderful. Uh, and next week, we're going to begin again with a rotation of colleges and artists. Thank you again for bearing with us through the break. If you've enjoyed the break or just looking forward to season two, maybe send us a little quick rating and review on your podcast platform, eh? Um, or if you want to do an old school recommendation, just tell a friend about the pod. Shout it out of your window. We love that. Um, we do really love seeing our listener base continue to expand, not only internationally, but also on the continent. We've seen lots of expansion of our listener base, and it's very exciting. All right. On to the great, the hilarious, the Annalee Ashford. Da, 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 da. Welcome to Mapping the College Audition, a podcast where we explore the landscape of the college theater world and try to demystify this daunting audition process. I'm your host, Charlie Murphy, director of MTCA, that's Musical Theater College Auditions. And today we have got a wicked, kinky, borderline, illegally blonde show lined up for you. It's not a kinky show. I was just doing all the titles. You understand? I was worried where you were going. Yes. <laughs> Annalie Ashford, of course, is an amazing actress and also the wife of MTCA's own wonderful Joe Tapper. Um, I have a funny story. I think it's funny about Annalie that I forgot to tell her during the interview, which was during our opening night of Bright Witch Farm. This is a play that my theater company produced, and it starred the great Joe Tapper in it. Uh, my dad came to our opening night party, as did, of course, Annalie. And my dad kept waving at her like he knew her. And at one point, I, I turned to my dad. I was like, Dad, what are you doing? He's like, I know her, right? She was one of your classmates, which in fairness to my dad, like literally like Katie Wheeland was in that show, like Alejandro, some people that he does know very well are in the show and he doesn't always remember who he knows and doesn't know. And I was like, no, dad, you don't know her. And he was like, I swear, I could swear she's been to our house. There's one time she was at our house, right? And I was like, no, dad, you've just seen her on your television. You've just, you watch Masters of Sex. And he was very embarrassed. But you know what? Now he's even more embarrassed because <laughs> the whole world knows this story as well. Today on the show, we get into growing up in Denver theater as a child actor and some of the advantages of seeing some of those challenges as a young adult. Um, we talk about going to college in New York City and the Marymount Manhattan experience. Uh, we talk about survival jobs, the importance of juggling your life and your schedule artistically and in your life. 
Um, we talk about experiencing rejection and the ups and downs of this business. We talk about being creative in spirit. We talk about Annalise's thoughts on comedy technique versus magic. Um, she gives Joe's wonderful advice of champions adjust in a great Joe Tapper impression later in the episode. And then we talk a little bit about self-care and the idea of you know getting into therapy and moving your body and how important that is for us all as actors. But Megan, before we dive into the episode, I know this was one you were very excited about. I was very excited because Emily Ashford was also on my TV as your dad because I watched that MTV special Legally Blonde on repeat <laughs> as like a high schooler. I loved – so it was like a nice little look back into my teen years watching that pink set. So it was fun seeing a peek into her life now. So true. Later in the show, we talk about um, you know a lot of people want to be – Annalie. And she was like, no, I've never heard that. I'm like, a lot of people say it. Whether you've heard it or not, a lot of people say. You were clearly not yeah. listening because that is for sure true. More of a role, role model than even she knows. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's dive right into it in this episode with Annalie Ashford. Well, we are delighted to be joined by Annalie Ashford today on the pod. Uh, Annalie attended Marymount Manhattan College. Her Broadway credits include Legally Blonde, Wicked, Hair, Kinky Boots, for which she received a Tony nom and a Drama Desk nom, Sunday in the Park with George, Sylvia, You Can't Take It With You, for which she won a Tony Award, a Drama Desk Award, and an Outer Critics Circle Award for her amazing performance. Uh, She also was off-Broadway with lots of shows like Rent and Dogfight. She's been all over your small and big screens. You may know her from Masters of Sex on TV, Smash for our Smash heads out there. Um, She's currently in American Crime Story and Be Positive on CBS right now. Also in films like Top 5, Late Night, A Rainy Day in New York, and Sex in the City, which I just included so that we can do some And Just Like That takes at the end of the pod. We have to have some current takes on that. Annalie, welcome. How are you doing today? Hi. Good morning. Good morning. I'm good. It's good to see you. I'm I'm so honored that you got up so early in the morning. We're filming this morning of a on in New York and in LA. I know it's even earlier. So thank you for coming. We'll forgive a froggy voice if it's happening. Hey, it's all good. And also, you know, you like to like to start the day right and also get it in. And starting the day with a podcast is right, if I have to ever say <laughs> so. Um if you don't mind, let's take me back a little bit to when you started thinking about all this, which I know you did a lot of theater pretty early. I'd love, especially for our listeners who are on the younger end, 15, 16, 17, what was that dream as you started thinking about college, you started thinking about you know your professional career? What was that dream for kind of 16-year-old Annalyn? Yeah, you know, I had a really wonderful theater community in Denver where I grew up, so I was really um, fortunate to experience what it felt like to... Um, have acting be my career choice, mm-hmm. even though I was, you know, even though I was only 15, 16, I was doing eight shows a week. And so I know what that felt like. And I had all mm-hmm. of these incredible Denver theater actors who were making a living being an actor, you know, working and living and making ends meet and also showing me how difficult it is to make ends meet as an actor. But, but most of all, uh, I, I learned so much about the etiquette of being in a dressing room and mm-hmm. um, and also, again, how challenging it is to have a family, to choose this career path, and um, also the challenges of what it feels like to do a long run. I didn't do extremely mm-hmm. long runs, but I was doing runs that were three to five months at a, t- you know, at a time. And that's yeah. quite a long run for a young person. You know, most people, when they get to college, 
the shows that they've done, they've done some maybe a couple weeks of a community theater show or they've done mm-hmm. a weekend. Two it's weekends, really, maybe. If it's yeah, long. maybe. Yeah. But, you know, I really knew what it felt like to do eight shows a week. I knew what it mm-hmm. felt like to have to need stamina. Um, I already knew kind of the, the, the beginnings of vocal health and body health. Mm-hmm. So anyways, and I also, I got my equity card before I went to college. And I remember being told when you're an actor, it's like a job like anything else and you deserve insurance and you deserve mm-hmm. a pension. And I always, like, I always kind of took that with me. On that note, um, you know, some people choose not to go to college and they go right to New York. And that sort of wasn't an option for me for a couple of reasons. Number one, my mom is a teacher and an educator and it was mm-hmm. really um, important to her and to me that I had some sort of degree in some way. And that's not important to some people, but for, for me and my family, it was, Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was something that I wanted to to explore, um, not just to have like a certificate, but it was it was more about um, I ended up getting a liberal arts education, and I you know wanted to take classes about things I was interested in. But really, I just got a liberal arts education because that's where I got in. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, like if you have the luxury of choosing between a conservatory and a liberal arts education, congratulations to you. I didn't have the luxury of choosing. It was just where I got in. Um, and sometimes that's easier. But basically, I think the point of what I'm saying is as a young, young person, I knew that this was something that was a part of my heart and a part of my um, journey. And I, I loved storytelling as a little person. And then uh, I just knew that this this was going to be my career. And I had many people along the way tell me if there's something you like more, do that, mm-hmm. which some people don't hear until they're just picking a college or they're in mm-hmm. college. And I really grappled with that question and there was just never any other answer, but I have to do this. And was a big part for you of Marymount about NYC? Did you know from, from Denver, I want to, or from Colorado, I know, know for sure I want to go to, to New York City? I think the only thing equal to my dream of being a storyteller was my dream of living in New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I have a love affair with that town that began before I can remember. Like, I don't remember not wanting to live in New York City. Um, so that's definitely a piece of the puzzle for me. And I think if I had just moved there, it would have been too overwhelming for me and I would have gotten caught up in the city. That's a real hmm. thing that happens when you moved to New York, it's so expensive to live there. It's so hard mm-hmm. to live there. Um, there's so many challenges that a lot of people in New York and LA, they move to the city to do this thing they wanted to do. And then they get caught up in just trying to get by and trying mm-hmm. to live life. And then they don't you know, continue to pursue whatever that passion was. And you did it all so young, right? I'm not sure I followed the exact timeline, but it seemed like you graduated both high school and college early. Is that true? I did. My husband makes fun of me for that. Too weird. Yeah, it's weird. Um, But it was during a time when people didn't know very much about online courses. And I kind of sort of went, oh, this is a thing I can do. I'm going to do that. I I loved New York. I wanted to get there. Um, And I had a great high school experience and I had a great time in, in Denver, but it was I was already sort of ahead in my classes mm-hmm. in terms of credits. Um, and then when I was in college, the same thing sort of just happened on accident. Um, I realized I had a lot of credits and um, it just seemed like a great option for me. The other thing that was sort of like odd about my particular experience is that I had an equity card. Uh-huh. So that for me was helpful graduating. At the same time, though, I auditioned 
all throughout college, which, you know, you're not really supposed to do. But I also think it's good for you to do to understand how incredibly difficult it is. I did not get one call back my entire three years of auditioning. Not I had one from an open dance call for Hairspray, and Jerry Mitchell was running the call, ironically, who gave me my first Broadway show um, and who also directed Kinky Boots. Um, and he's such a, like, a, you know, an important part of my life. So it's so like magical that he's the one person mm. who called me back. I was not all, you know, but still no booking there. No. And also no. I had a terrible, speaking of books, my book was wrong. I didn't know I was singing the wrong songs and I didn't start getting callbacks until I finally, um, it's kind of a long story, but my, I'll just tell it. I had, we are showcase. No, there were no agents or managers mm-hmm. that called me in. None. I got no feedback from any agents or managers. But there was um, a choreographer named Larry Fuller. He choreographed many famous Broadway shows, and he was mounting a production of Avita on the road. And he saw me in our um, showcase and called me in for like the Ava Perone cover, mm-hmm. Mistress. Um, and it was the first time I had material to learn for an audition. Mm-hmm. I had sides and I got to learn. And it was like, oh, the doors opened, you know. Mm-hmm. And that casting director started bringing me in. And um, he is actually that casting director is the person who cast, um, which was then called Feeling Electric, but became Next to Normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I played the daughter, Natalie, in the Next to Normal production of The Nymph, which was The Nymph was brand new. And that's how I got my agent and my manager and like all the great casting directors in town also came to see it. And um, that's kind of how doors open for me. So that's just a, you know, I think a lot of people listening, these kids, their book is probably better than mine was and still is. That's always been a challenge <laughs> for me. Almost certainly. Oh, these MTCA students, they know their their book is you know on point. Of course. It is a big deal. But it's still always so cool to, just to see that idea of like a choreographer who you might not have thought, oh, this person's necessarily going to lead to this next person. You don't always know the rungs on the ladder that, that are going to make you from one leap to another that are going to get you to where you get to. Um, but before we get too ahead to the career stuff, because I do want to get into that too, I just, I, I, want, I kind of wonder about, you said you're ahead in high school while also doing eight shows a week sometimes you know it's like what is that drive of like were you just precocious were you competitive like what was the thing that made you be like okay yeah i can do professional shows i'm gonna get my equity card i'm also gonna be an advanced whatever so that i have a chance to be ahead in high school and same thing in college like what what was that do you think that kind of drove you to be so ahead my love of storytelling you know authentically i always just knew how how important it was for me to be a creator. Um, and also I think like the life of an actor, actor is, is constant juggling. The life of an artist is constant juggling mm-hmm. um, at every level. So when you're, you know, just starting out, you have to juggle your survival job and figure out how to also get to auditions and pick a survival job that allows you to be available to audition anytime. That's mm-hmm. a lot of juggling. Um when you're doing a Broadway show and (laughs) you're still maybe sometimes trying to make ends meet when you're still doing a Broadway show, that's a real Mm -hmm. thing. You don't make nearly as much money as you think you do on Broadway. Um, I just hosted an award show the other night and the hair makeup artists were um, like totally shocked about how much you make on Broadway. Uh They were like, what? How do people pay their rent? Um, 
So there's a lot of juggling when you're doing eight shows a week as a professional. Mm -hmm. And then in the other areas of, of the career too, like when you're opening a new Broadway show, previews are extremely strenuous. You're going, mm -hmm. you're changing the show all day, putting it in at night, figuring out when to eat, making sure you're sleeping enough, taking care of yourself. And then if it's a new show in the season, you're constantly doing press mm -hmm. and trying to navigate no time in your life. Right. So I think for those of you out there who are in high school and in college and are like, this is so overwhelming. I don't want to be a bummer, but like get used to it. You have mm -hmm. to start figuring out how to manage your time. You have to start, you have to learn how to be respectful of other people's time. Mm -hmm. And you have to learn how to take care of yourself. Because while I do think that burnout is a real thing, you have to actually figure out how to navigate not burning out because that's going to be a part of your future. It's so true. And Annalie was right on time for this podcast, which probably isn't necessarily the most high on her list of press obligations that she has at the moment, <laughs> but right on time, even though it's 7 a.m., you know, right, it hits that thing right on the dot, which is impressive. I think that is a skill set you've clearly cultivated that now works for you. And not all my students can pull that off at 16, 17 years old. They're not necessarily like, I'm going to show up on time for my coaching, even though you're like, yeah. this is the most important thing in your life right now. I mean, hey, there's there's two pieces to that answer. The first is like I messed up a Zoom time last week, like to a very <laughs> important meeting, very important. And it was so embarrassing with like, oh my God, I'm mortified just talking about it. It's like we all make mistakes. It happens, sure. but you shouldn't feel good about it. it. I feel good that I feel embarrassed about it because um, Helen Mirren won a Lifetime Achievement Award for um, at the SAG Awards this last weekend. And I usually don't watch all the award shows, but I hosted one on Monday night. So I had to make sure that mm -hmm. like I didn't repeat any jokes. And I'm so glad that I watched it because SAG Awards are a little bit different than all of the other awards because it's actors awarding other actors. And there's such mm -hmm. a, an emphasis on the craft of acting and such beautiful talk of the craft of acting. And there's such a lovely emphasis on ensembles, which I think is the most important. And she said this amazing thing. There's two two rules that I, you know, really try to abide by. Be on time and don't act like a dick. Mm. You know, and Helen mm. Mirren gets to say fabulous things like that because she's <laughs> Helen Mirren. But those are the two most important things if you want to mm. be anything, but especially if you want to be an actor, an mm. artist. Be on time, number yep. one. And number two, be kind. If you don't yep. behave well, it always catches up with you, and it's not cool. It's not cool. It's the opposite of cool to act rude or – um, ungracious or just always be open. It's a yes and world. And if you mm. don't know what that means, go to improv class immediately. Go to improv class. Look it up. But yeah, yes and. Um, let's, before we get too deep into your um, professional career, because I got lots of questions about it, just give me a little sum of um, Marymount, what the experience of Marymount Manhattan was for you in terms of, it was three years of an experience, I guess, but give me that that whirlwind of a three years and whatever brief, brief summation. Yeah, I mean, it was many moons ago, so <laughs> I would have prefaced <laughs> it with that. But um, I always try to tell people who are looking at schools, whether it be for performing arts or not, whatever you're interested in when you're you know, figuring out what college you're going to go to. Um, I applied to a couple schools. I applied to Juilliard. Um, I auditioned, so I auditioned for Juilliard, Carnegie Mellon, and Marymount. And the reason I went to Marymount is because it's the only place I got in. Um, and it was such a miracle for me because it was where I was supposed to go. And mm -hmm. I really believe that no matter where you get in, it's where you're supposed to be, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, so 
my uh, time at Marymount, I auditioned as a BFA acting major. They didn't have a musical theater major. Do they mm-hmm. have a major now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's a full blown major now. At the time, they only had, they had a minor, which was interesting. But I also wasn't for some reason like enrolled in the musical theater minor yet. Mm-hmm. So my first year, I was um, freshman BFA acting major. Um, and it was really important to me because I wanted to do musical theater. Obviously, I've been doing it my whole life and singing and dancing. I knew I was going to be in New York City. It's the best city in the world to take dance and singing lessons, like literally the best. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really, I think it's really difficult to get acting classes anywhere. And I still think it's sort of hard in New York and LA. It's you have totally. to find a group, you have to find a group of yeah. people, you know, and it's sort of a word of mouth thing sometimes. And it's just more challenging. To, it's way easier to go to improv class, which I suggest, than mm-hmm. it is to find an acting class. So it was really important to me that I focused on acting at school. Um, and my freshman year, I had David Mould, who now runs the department. Um, and he was fin- such a fantastic first-year acting teacher, such a fantastic acting teacher. And I'm really grateful I had him. And then during my time there, when you're a BFA, you are with the tenure faculty. But um, one of the great things about Marymount is because it's in New York City, the adjunct faculty was really diverse and um, really tapped in to both the academia land of and landscape of acting but also a lot of them were working professionally. And so that's also, I think, something exciting that you get from your um, from your adjunct faculty. And mm-hmm. I think there's good to have a mix because, um, you know, not everybody has a heart for teaching. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that they can still be great teachers. Um, but especially in the arts, you know, there's something special when somebody really has a heart for teaching and wants to share mm-hmm. with you their knowledge. And um, I had some great teachers and uh, I always was trying to learn from all of them because acting is technique goes like that. You know, mm-hmm. you're going to pick and pull from all of the different techniques and pieces and some things are really going to match up with your spirit and your heart and your soul and some things aren't. And so it was really important for me to experience them all. So for instance, for example, there was a teacher who's still at Marymount. Her name's Ellen Ornstein. um, And she, at the time, was uh, really interested in Suzuki techniques. And so I took a Suzuki workshop with her over a summer that really blew my mind and made me Mm -hmm. really open my eyes to how much I like outside in and I like movement-based. Mm-hmm. Um, and added another sort of like strand to my technique. There was a teacher that taught there at the time who ended up leaving and taught at Yale and then at NYU grad, both their grad programs. Her name's Faye Simpson and she does the lucid body technique. And I never actually mm-hmm. had her at Marymount, but I read her book and I loved her technique. And I really, I didn't get to take her class. The stars never aligned for me, mm-hmm. but I used her technique from her book and I would ask everybody in her class about it. And now I work with her privately when I'm <laughs> creating for a role. So basically what I'm saying is like, you have to be hungry as a student. My husband and I did a play with James Earl Jones, who is going to have a theater named after him, who's going to have the court named after him, which is magical. I worked at the You're court. already anticipating. You've already answered a question from did our I? second game. That was a trivia question oh that you gosh. were going to get right. Well, well, I got it that. right. Just, yeah, I worked right. at that theater too. I would yeah. have loved to have been like, I'm working at the James Earl Jones. Oh, yeah. gives me chills. So cool. But, um, but he was a forever student. 
he mm-hmm. did a production of um, Othello. I mean, at the in the park, I think like in the late seventies or early eighties, mm-hmm. and he felt like he never got it, which it means it was good. Like he should always mm-hmm. feel like he never quite got it. You mm-hmm. know, like there's always work to be done, and he mm-hmm. would come in on Thursday afternoons from time to time and have my husband Joe come in and meet with him and they Joe would read Iago mm. and James would read Othello and he'd work through pieces that he always kind of just felt like he never mm. quite got. So again, forever the student, even when you're 84. It's like what? A, and you're a living yeah. legend. Our mutual friend Ryan Quinn, who also was a podcast guest, we always talk about that like emblem of like the actor is always reaching, right? There's always just it's just always right out of grasp, but it's not so unattainable that you can't touch. It's like you almost are about to touch it. Always is sort of the place that you want to feel like you're in. I'd never have finished a show at the end of the night and been like, I got it, nailed it, done. Never. My work here is done. No, I mean yeah. occasionally on camera you're like, can you please use that take? That's uh-huh. a different yeah. feeling. But yeah. I feel like, especially on stage, that's just like, it's a living, breathing organism that just grows from day to day. It's, it's so true. It feels like sometimes you, like I always feel like you touch it sometimes. You go, ooh, ooh, something there. Like I hit it, but it doesn't mean like I have it. I don't, I'm not, I can't clutch it, but I, sometimes you go, I, I, I touched on that. That felt like it was really yes. right. I actually like have a problem of never feeling like it's, you know, occasionally people, you know, my, when my husband does shows with me, he's like, can you just be happy with the night? Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, Annalie, I'll be honest. You do have a lot of work to do still, so that's what it is. That's just I an do. objective sense. Is that there's a lot to work on in your game? Um, no, before we leave college, we have to play the first of our two games. This one you could not have prepared for, okay. right or wrong, um, with answers. This is our college flashback game. Ooh. So. The goal is you're going to see how many questions about your college time you can answer within 60 seconds. Okay. The score to beat is 14 by Josh Sagara and Sarah Salzberg have tied at 14. Okay. Um, which is quick. That's a lot of answers in, in a couple seconds. We'll see how we do. Do you feel you understand the game and are prepared to play? Yeah, let's hit it. Okay, good luck. Megan's going to put 60 seconds on the clock. All right. Ready? Set. Mm-hmm. Go. Your favorite show you did in school? Oh, Mystery of Edwin Drood. Snack that got you through college? Uh, Rainbow Rolls. Ever have a crush on a professor? Yeah, I'm not telling. Class you never used again in your life? Um, oh, math. Worst fashion choice in college? Oh, so many. Not uh, not wearing not vintage clothes. <laughs> Most distracting part of going to college in New York City? New York City. <laughs> Song that was blasting from your dorm room at school? Um, at that time, oh, David Bowie. What was on Broadway that you were dying to be in at that time? Wicked. Did you vote in college? No. Do oh, you yes, remember I did. Your... Yes, I did. I'm sorry. Oh, good. Yeah. Do you remember your school mascot? Uh, the, the Gryffindor something. The Gryffindors. <laughs> and we're like, what are they? <laughs> were you a messy roommate or clean roommate? Clean. Messy. My, on my desk, but clean everywhere else. What's something <laughs> on your dorm room wall that you remember? Mm, a poster of Liza Minnelli. Did you TA any classes? No. Very good. Very good. How many did I get? That was close. That was a lot, Megan. We got close. It was 13. Oh, Shucks. not lucky. I'm so competitive. But also, you lose some points for, like, some answers you gave 16 different answers for. You said yes and no. <laughs> Messy and clean. Do I didn't vote, but yes, I voted once. Like, what I is know, it? I was trying to be honest. I was, I was thinking, like, because I couldn't vote in Colorado, and then I was like, oh, I was there for a major election. I forgot. I, so I did oh, right, you're 18, exactly. But I do think also our instinct in these games is always to lie. Just to say something quick, I'm going to say the first thing as opposed to the truthful thing. At least I don't know why. I lied when I did it. I told the truth. You, yeah, that's true. You went back and told the truth. Yeah, Megan lied all the time. Um, I lied. What, what was the one thing? New York City, just New York City itself was distracting? You mean all of it? Yes. Yeah. I, when you go to college in New York City, 
when you live in New York, I mean, it's really, it's just challenging. Like I remember that first semester, it was like, whoa. And I had like five, I always had like five jobs, always. I was, you know, some people are in a position where, you know, their families are able to help them Uh navigate the financial situation that is being a college student. And like, and when you're in New York city, it's really expensive when you're anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to have a job all the time. I, my, you know, my family couldn't help me. They, they absolutely helped me, but yeah. I don't want to sound like that, but, um, but I'm also but proud you, of that. I think you should, even if your parents are helping you financially yes. while you're in college, get a job because you need to start yeah. learning how to balance. Mm-hmm. It's so true. You need love, to get a job. You get a job, students. <laughs> yeah. I do. Annalise, I really believe in do. that. I really believe in it because I think if you're going to be in this business, you need to know what it feels like to juggle. Like I could just but, say it over and over again. But the distraction for you is instead of that job being like at a campus shop or whatever, that job is like with New York City professional colleagues oh my gosh. who are yes. pulling you in different directions. I worked at a law firm across the street from the dorms as, mm-hmm. as a receptionist. Um, I babysat always. I worked mm. at the Peninsula Spa and the Peninsula Hotel my freshman year. Um, I worked at this amazing place called Craft Studio, who my friend from college now runs and owns, which is great. Mm-hmm. And they kept mm-hmm. it going through the pandemic, thank God. Um I worked at Fiorello's, this restaurant by Lincoln Center. I mean, the list, I could go on. And I worked at Kiel's at the Bloomingdale's counter. Mm, got uh, to. I worked at Bergdorf Goodman selling perfume. You know, so many places. But And then also New York City. Like, you need to also be a human and love. love. And I was, I was a go-go dancer for glam rock parties at night. Mm. Um, it's all this fun stuff. So, yes, it was distracting. But also that's, like, part of it. You got to, like. Yes. Distracted is maybe a word to use, but I would say infused by the city. Infused, yeah. There's not uh, some places you would not be able to be a go-go dancer at night, depending where you're going to college. It just you know, I would say I would say ninety-five percent of the places, I, I and like a proper fe- and also not like uh, uh, like not that kind of go-go dancing. I was doing like performance art. It was performance <laughs> art. I was with all these amazing performance artists. So there you go. So cool. Um, my last question about school, and then we'll get really deep into the career, is just uh, what is the biggest concept or your a class or something that you took away from these years that you feel like you really are using as a professional? You go, maybe even something that you go, I didn't know that I was going to th- use this so often, but it, now it is coming up a lot in my work or, you know, there are times when I go, I'm so grateful that I did learn that. The one thing that I'm so grateful for as I look back is I truly have a foundation of what I was talking about before of all of these different ways to approach my craft. And I have mm-hmm. an absolute foundation of craft and a, an appreciation for craft. I also, you know, not every professor thought I was the best actor in the room. And that's a good mm-hmm. thing because that's going to happen to you for the rest of your career. So mm-hmm. I had some, I had some, um, there were some struggles and some, uh, I, I think knocking of ego, which was extremely important. And, um, and then I also had some people who were extremely supportive of me as an artist. Mm. So I had both and I think that's important. Um, but most of all, I would say I have true foundation of craft. I still use, I mean, it's, it's the basics, but I still use them today. I, there's still like three books that I always have sort of by my bedside table when I'm working on a, a role. Acting is acting is acting. And I had them back in. In, in college as well. It's funny because I asked this question of basically all of our guests or most of our guests last some version of this question. And the example I always think of is, this is before I knew you from Adam, but 
seeing you and Will Brill in You Can't Take It With You. Will Brill was a classmate of mine. And watching Will, like, basically just do our Commedia dell'arte class on stage. Like, it was like, mm-hmm. I was like, I know that clown. I know that, that stuff. I'm like, And I would have thought at the time, you, you'll you never use that in life. Like, it's just like, it's felt like this ridiculous physical comedy that was like, what? when would that ever get used? And then here it is fully, you know, on a Broadway stage at the James Earl Jones Theater or with James Earl Jones now, a uh, uh, theater named after him. Too cool. Just a too cool. Yeah, you'll use everything if you listen and you apply. You know what I mean? And then some of this, you know, I, I think I've used everything. And then I keep trying to learn more. So it's sort of like, you know, just always be a forever student. Such good advice. Let's take a short break. We'll get some ads rolling. And then on the second half, we'll really dive into your professional life and a couple specific topics. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are back with Annalie Ashford. So, Annalie, you now have graduated. You're still like 14 years old because you've you know graduated co- high school and college, and you're you know, still a tween. I really was. I was 19, which I my husband's always like, "Could you tell us enough?" It's unbelievable. It's just like it was an accident. It's, it's really not that big of it. I'm not really. I like it's. It's really not that big of it. It's deal. impressive and and weird. I was just really tired. My adrenals are still worn out. I, I can see that. Yeah, it's true. You've now graduated. You told us a little bit about some the journey toward getting an agent. Um, just tell tell us. So you graduate without an agent now. So you're you're doing your first couple auditions. You know, that's where you said you mentioned that Avita thing. Uh, how does that now that journey happen toward now you are fully represented and you're feeling like you're, you're in a, that successful place? Well, I mean, I, it's. Success is, I think, an elusive sort of word in this business because there's always going to be like the balance between art and commerce that you have to struggle with um, and on like so many different levels. But I will say that like having a job always feels like you kind of have both of that balance going on. Mm-hmm. You know, you're getting to be creative and you're making money for it. It's like, oh, magic, it happened. Mm-hmm. So anyways, I would say that what happened for me was unusual. Um, and, you know, sometimes when when younger people are like, well, how can I get an agent? I'm like, it's just different for every person and it's different yes. for every six months. And the business is different every six months, especially right now. We're in such a time of question marks. Mm-hmm. So just keep doing you and and just keep learning and and building your craft and i think sometimes that's the way it happens and it seemed like for you it was not a long period of time between college and agent right or college i should say college and your first um a couple successful shows started happening but then maybe a longer period of time 
in that like where you're building a Broadway resume and some some exciting success is happening, but it's not yet the level that it will it will reach. Right? It seems like there is one of our previous guests talked about like the ten years it takes to become an overnight sensation. Yes, it seems like there was a nice building time where you could see now that you look back, oh, I see how this built to this, but I, I wouldn't have known. Oh, that's going to lead to Tony Award, or that's going to lead to amazing TV roles, or you know, it seemed like there was a, a nice chunk of time where you were just doing your thing. Yeah, you know, it's it's a constant up and down too. So you have to like know what it feels like to be on the mountain because the valley is coming. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no way that you can have a mountain without a valley in this business. So yes, yes, I I I was able to. Um, you know, when I I talked earlier about getting sides and getting to do material from the show that totally changed my entire audition experience. Mm-hmm. But. I always like to tell people, yes, I got an agent like a couple months after I graduated from school, um, but I, but I had been auditioning for like three years and getting mm-hmm. nothing. So mm-hmm. I knew what it felt like to have rejection in like a major way that I think a lot of kids who are coming out of school, they don't know, and it can take a couple years. And then mm-hmm. they're like, what is this? Um, and I also think it's complicated for kids who get an agent right out of school and start booking things too, because that can be mis, you know... That can be confusing as well. So I did a production of Next to Normal that was called Feeling Electric. And from that, um, I, luckily, lots of people in the industry saw it, and I had no idea, which is great. Mm-hmm. It's good to know who's mm-hmm. not in the audience. I prefer not knowing. Some people like to know. I still don't like to know who's in the audience. And from that, um, I auditioned for pretty much everything that was on Broadway at the time, and I was getting close to a couple things. And there was an opening for a Glinda understudy um, on the road for Wicked. And there was um, an Elphaba standby. And I remember my final callback, they were kind of figuring out where they were putting Elphaba and Glinda covers. Mm-hmm. And I was about to leave and Stephen Remus popped out and he was like, hey, do you know the Elphaba music? And I was like, yeah, I kind of, I can do Defying Gravity. So I came in and sang Men of Defying Gravity. And I was like, ah, Yeah. And I remember um, Joe Mantello like put his head on in his hands and laughed. And he went, well, she's a Glinda, um, which is really funny. But it was lovely that like at that point in my career that they were willing to be like, yeah, can you do that? Because nobody knew me yet. You know, they were like, you know, you can sing that. So And and you also talk about yes anding, right? You were like, yeah, oh, let's do it. I'm, I'm going to walk in this room and do my best. Oh, I yes and. Yeah. And later on, I ended up playing Maureen and Rent like, you know, mm-hmm. years down the road. And I remember being people being like, but you played play Glinda. And I was like, yes, and mm-hmm. <laughs> like, whatever. You could. Um, so anyways, uh, so I did, played uh, Glinda and Wicked on the road uh, covering, which was fantastic. Stephanie Block was um, Elphaba at the time and Kendra Kassebaum was mm-hmm. Glinda and they were fantastic. And then when I was on the road, I auditioned for Legally Blonde, got the role of Margot and I covered, mm-hmm. um, I covered Laura Bell, but I always knew that Becky Goldsvig was like, I did too much with that dog. I was like, oh, I'll never go on. You know, I went on once, <laughs> which was a crazy blown out of a cannon experience um, right before I went to go actually play Glinda on Broadway. So after mm-hmm. I did um, Legally Blonde, then I got to play Glinda and we got on Broadway for almost a year. Me and Stephanie Block did it together. Mm. Um, and then I went to Chicago and I did it with Lisa Brescia and then Di Rossioli. And um, had a great time there. And then I couldn't get a job. Couldn't mm. get a job. Everybody would just kind of um, 
was was not as open to seeing me because they were like, well, mm. she just plays dumb blondes. She played Margot and she uh-huh. played Glinda. And it was at that time, there's a lot of shows that they wouldn't even see me for. I couldn't uh-huh. even get an audition. Um, so I was babysitting to make ends meet. Um, I remember somebody being like, well, where, what happened to your Glinda money? I was like, I live in New Oof. York City. And also, like, you don't make what people think you make on Broadway. Uh-huh. It was just a really, like, awful thing. So, I mean, the business said it to me. Yeah. And it was very humbling to – I remember babysitting for kids who would actually seen me play Glinda uh-huh. um, on Broadway. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, then I did hair. I was in – I was a replacement. I I covered I, – I played uh, Jeannie. I replaced Casey Sheik. Um, and I knew – like a couple weeks into it that we were going to close pretty uh-huh. soon after that. You can tell when you look out in the house on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And you think it was because of you specifically? It was me. It's all the work that you still have to do for yourself. That's what we did. <laughs> we closed it there. I closed it. That's what the joke I gave Elizabeth auditioned for. Well, they were uh, Maybe it was a hair movie. I don't know if it was a hair movie or it was a, a new show. But it was like the day of the pandemic or whatever. And like the day of her auditions, they, they decided to pull it. It was a live production of hair or whatever. Oh. And I was like, that's how bad your audition was. Was, that was you, gonna you, happen. That's so you funny. walked in from an audition room and they're like, let's just not even do the show. Let's they were like, we can't do it. We can't do it. Not if that's so what it's gonna bring to this. I know. But um, yeah. And then what was what was so for you, I know it may not feel like there was one big break because it's sort of a series of breaks, but was it Kinky Boots and the Tony Nam? Was it Masters of Sex? In terms of what was the moment when you go, Oh, okay, there's a little bit of a plateau where hopefully I'm not going to be going back to babysitting. I'm not, you know, where did it feel like this happened? Uh, yeah, honestly, I never really feel like, oh, it's happening because of that time. It's definitely happening right now. Like right now it is happening. Well, You're the star of a CBS show right now. <laughs> there may not be Glinda money. I know there's be positive money. I know that for sure. Not going to count your wallet, but I know that's true. <laughs> that's another thing. I never, ever, some people have made grossly more than I ever thought they would. And some people have made so much less than I ever imagined they would. So that's Uh one thing Joey and I always are like, well, you can never count on what you think somebody makes. You never can even guess. Um, So but what I would say is after hair, I went through another really quiet time. And during Mm -hmm. that time, I was doing a lot of readings and workshops of shows that went to Broadway without me. So Mm -hmm. I played um, the role that Carrie Butler played in – I'm blanking. Catch me if you can. I almost like get it while you can. So I played that. I played Campbell and bring it, bring it on. I played Wednesday in the Adams family. Um, I played. There's like four more that I'm thinking of right now. Mm-hmm. Like I did a version of Carrie. I did all these things. Well, you keep doing the readings, and the people keep taking the roles. The the other people continue on to Broadway with the yeah. roles, mm-hmm. which is is hard. Also, I was Oof. too old for Natalie in Next to Normal uh-huh. and I was like 23. They were like you're too uh-huh. old. So that was that was a good thing to learn to be yeah. told you're too old as a woman early on in your career. Well, at this point you were like 10 years out of college, so, you know. Well, at that point I was like fresh. I'm, well, I love you. You just made a joke <laughs> that I didn't get cuz it's early. Yeah, it's okay. Um yeah. but then at the, then I still was like going through this major lull at at 24, 25, which is really mm-hmm. young to be like am I going to work again? You know, like uh-huh. having those moments. And then, um, luckily and gratefully, Michael Greif cast me in rent and I was sort of like a surprise choice to play Maureen. Mm-hmm. Um, but he wanted to, he was reimagining the show. He brought me in like eight times. Um, mm-hmm. they really were like, really wanted to make sure, but uh-huh. he, he was like, let me be really bold. And I made some wild, big choices. 
And that really helped people see me in a different light. Mm. And um, that really, and I was doing Kinky Boots, the readings at the same time. Um, and then after that, I I got the pilot of uh, Masters of Sex. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I was waiting to see if it got picked up, I did dogfight. We were waiting to see if Kinky Boots was going to go. And I, it's not a secret. This is a kind of a fun story. When I was doing Kinky Boots, people, you know, when you're doing a new show, people question if you're the right person and sometimes they try other people out and that's just mm-hmm. part of it. And I was so used to it. So I was like, well, I'll never continue on with Kinky Boots because they'll pick somebody else when it goes to Broadway because that's what happens mm-hmm. with me. And I had a fine, I had to go in one final time for it because God love her. Cindy Lauper, Cindy Lauper just didn't know if I was the right person. She'd never done mm-hmm. a musical before and she didn't, you know, she, she, she should have been questioning if I was the right person. But I guess the last time I went in, she was like, well, I guess she's our Lauren, you know, like, and because they were all like, are you going to say yes? Because everybody was saying yes to me. It was uh-huh. Cindy was the last person that had to say yes. Um, and now we're, you know, buds and great friends. But, um, but thankfully, I remember on opening night of Kinky Boots, I looked out into the audience and Cheetah Rivera gave me a thumbs up. <laughs> like she pointed and pointed to me and was like, good job. Doing great. Which was, you're like, I still have some notes for myself, but yes, thank you. I did. But um, I did. I was never, you know, always have a note for myself. But mm-hmm. it, that was sort of like a miracle moment for me. And it also was like, oh, this is the one show that I got to continue on with. And it was uh-huh. the right one. It was the one well, that was meant to be for me. And then so from true. there, you know, I had pretty pretty steady work. I worked on Master of Sex. And then when I would have hiatuses, I would get to come back and do a play. I did You Can't Take It With You, um, which I never would have expected would have been such a um, – a, I never thought I was going to have, you know, recognition the way that I did for that show, which was so lovely. But also my intention for shows is never that, you know, it should never yes. be that. And, and then I did Sylvia and then, um, I got pregnant with my son and I, while I was like six months pregnant, I got the call for Sunday in the park with George, the concert. I had mm-hmm. seen, an, uh, that, that Jake was going to do it. Jake Gyllenhaal. And I was like, God, I'd love to play that part, but nobody will ever pick me. And then they called, mm-hmm. which was shocking. Um, and so I did the concert when my son was six weeks old, which was insane. Wow. And yep. um, I got really sick the night before the concert. I got mastitis, which is oh, yes. like the ducts of your boobs when you're nursing get, get clogged and infected. We know it well. So I, that yes. happened and you, you get the flu, basically. You have a fever uh-huh. and you're achy. And I got a cold. And I remember just being like, God, go ahead of me and stay after me for this masterpiece I'm about uh-huh. to work on. And <laughs> I got through that week and then we did the production of it. And then I kind of had a quieter time after that. I did some movies here and there and some pilots. Um, but it was kind of a quieter. I, Joe and I did Shakespeare in the Park together. Um, but I got to spend a lot of time with my little boy in the next couple years. Mm. And... It was honestly like just a little bit of a quieter time, you know, Mm -hmm. it just happens. That's why I'm saying there's always going to be a valley to the peak. So while I'm working consistently now and I am so grateful for that, I'm always trying to be creative in spirit and always trying to now as an artist, I'm like writing and I want to start directing. And that's another piece of my creative spirit that I want to start exploring um, yep. And I think it's important to keep that going, especially when you have quieter times. Just always keep making and creating. 
I love that advice, but we cannot just yada yada the Tony Award. Um, just in terms of like, it does put you in such an elite category of human beings. Like, like think about it, there's only been so many Tony Awards and only so many actors and actresses each year who win it. Like, what was that experience like? Was that a lifelong dream for you growing up in Colorado? What was it like to actually, you know, get the statue and give the speech and, and do the whole thing? Well, it's, you know, it's, there's two pieces of it. The first is it's overwhelming. I, it's, it's, a, it sits next to a unicorn in our bookshelf because it's, it's a magical unicorn. And then the other piece yes. of that is mine says on it, you can't take it with you, which is, Oof. I think so magical because <laughs> you literally can't take it with you. And that always puts it in perspective. Mm-hmm. It's this incredible honor. It's an incredible, um, representation of not just your hard work, but all of the people in your life that contributed to your hard work. So my parents and my family and my grandma and grandpa who would help drive me to the country dinner playhouse, all of those incredible Denver actors who taught me about theater etiquette and how to behave in a dressing room and how to show up on time and how to be kind to work with and never to give notes to another actor and all of these Mm -hmm. wonderful things they taught me. So it's a representation of them. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a representation of some of them who just didn't want to live the New York life, but who are great artists and who had, if they had decided to take a different path, probably would have won Mm -hmm. some fabulous awards for their work as artists. Um, I think it's, but then again, you know, it's, you can't take it with you and you can't let it think you're more magical than you are because there's always tomorrow and you have Mm -hmm. still have to do it tomorrow, you know? So I feel really balanced in the way that I, or at least try to feel really balanced in the way that yep. I approach it. But man, oh man, is it an honor and it's a miracle, you know? So, yeah, of course, every, you can't be a, a person in the arts and not dream of being like, I want to thank so-and-so and so-and-so. <laughs> but then when it really happens, it's more of like, it's a, there's, it's a, you know, when people are like, oh my God, they thank the people in the category at a certain level, like art is art. And like, you can't compare paintings. You can't compare performances, uh-huh. you know, like it, sometimes you're like, how can we award this and not award that? You know, like, like the year that Mark Rylands and Joe Mantello were up, Mark Rylands had done, yes. uh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem and, mm-hmm. um, Joe had done, um, the normal normal heart. Heart? yeah. Yeah, you were like, how are we competing? This yeah. is like, talk about apples and oranges. They're both delicious yeah. fruits. Like, how are we comparing this, you know? That said, your work that. was fantastic in that show. And I didn't know you at Ella. And I was just like, oh, my God, she's so good. Like, uh, you know, I came to watch Will and I'm like, this girl is incredible. Will was great, That's too. So but sweet. I was like, hey, you were so good in that show. Physical comedy, specificity, all of that stuff was just like, that's how we created everything. And Scott Ellis was a magical, magical director. But all that stuff I learned in college, I continued and deepened and kept going. You know, what do you want? How are you going to get it? You're segueing perfectly to my next question, because I want to ask you about comedy a little bit. Um, in that I think, of course, people know you as a wonderful dramatic actress, but I think you are thought of some, as someone who's incredibly funny on stage and now on your TV screens, right? Is that something that you felt like you just learned in school? Do you feel like, was that, was that innate for you? Was was 12-year-old Annalie also like really funny? Like, what was it that you feel like allows you to be able to walk in a room and just be funny, especially with stuff like you're hosting award shows now, right? So it's not even for you just about uh, yes, I think you're a great comedic actress. You know, of course, you're not like a stand-up comic, but but it's like you also have the ability just to be funny. It just feels like you can flip a light switch on and be funny. Where does that come from? How do you do that? If that's true? Oh my God, you're so funny and sweet. Uh, well, here here's how I feel about comedy. Um, I think that it's harder than drama. 
Mm. And, you know, it's an old thing that we say, but it's true. Because you have to be, the stakes have to be even higher for it to be funny. And it has to be even more real to be funny. Mm -hmm. Like we can see through you when you're doing comedy. If it's not honest, we're not going to laugh. So that's, there's lots of technique there and um, lots of craft. And then when it comes to like funny bone, we all know people either have a funny bone or they don't, you know, like what's your sense of humor? What's your sense of musicality in the language? What's a, Mm -hmm. what's your feel for a laugh? And I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but like ever since I was a little, little person, I've always been drawn to like, uh, I've been drawn to the pursuit of the laugh. Uh-huh. Um, like when I was a little girl, I, I mean, like I'm talking four or five, I don't know why, but I knew all of the Sarah live characters. So I would be like, can I do my characters at parties? Uh-huh. Like when I was four years old, I'd get up and uh-huh. do Linda Richmond and Wayne's World. Like, Annalise can do some characters now. Oh, yes. great. And I'd Annalise, wait for my laughs. Yeah. Like I understood the rhythm of a laugh. You know, uh-huh. there's like a one, I understood one, two, three before I could ex- explain it with words. Uh-huh. Um, and there's, there's a science to laugh and mm-hmm. there's a science to comedy. And then there's that, I think that's 90% of comedy is preparation, stakes, um, science and then there's that 10% of magic and mm-hmm. I always kind of leave that in my in my when I'm creating a role on stage I I like to have like 10% of my night be in the space of improv like I don't know mm-hmm. what's going to happen mm-hmm. um and I you don't never know what's going to happen and you're always present but I like to leave 10% not in a p- place of science like um, and you're always figuring it out and discovering it. But if it's not based in those foundations of what do you want? How are you going to get it? You know, that's clowning 101. You're going to mm-hmm. trip over the over the curb, but you didn't know you were going to trip. And the surprise, mm-hmm. the, the fact that you're surprised is what we laugh at. And mm-hmm. then your reaction to it is what keeps the laugh growing and building. And that's where the roll happens, the rolling of the laugh. So mm-hmm. Those are my thoughts on comedy. That's great. Some great thoughts. We talked a little bit about the wonderful Joe Tapper, MTCA's own Joe Tapper, um, and just, you know, one of my favorite people on earth and and what that relationship has been. I'd love to just talk a little bit about like, so as you're achieving this incredible success, especially in the same industry as a partner who, you know, is also pursuing this career. And obviously Joe's had a great career as well, but is there ever like awkwardness or or guilt there as like your career success might ask sacrifices of him, you know, realizing now we got to move here or now we got to go do this thing or, you know, how do, how do you navigate that in a relationship with someone else who's also in the industry? Yeah, you know, we both um, have had times where one is working and the other is not. Um, like when I was talking about that time after uh, after I did um, Sending the Park with George, we did um, Midsummer in the Park together, which was magical. Mm-hmm. And then I did some movies here and there and some TV here and there, but he worked quite consistently at the public and mm-hmm. um, he was kind of doing play after play and I was home a lot with Jack, which was magical. Um mm-hmm. But basically, we kind of take turns supporting the other when they're working. Um, and, and one of the things that's kind of special is we both know that juggle and that balance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're able to support the other. So, you know, especially like we both know what it feels like to be in tech and how stressful it is physically and emotionally. And, you know, we, we're able to support each other that way. But, you know, 
there's such an incredible emotional component to having the life of an actor. And I think both of us have really learned how to support the other in that world because mm-hmm. it's really challenging. I love it. Before I move on from Joe, I need to know if you have a Joe impression. I'm especially looking for like a Joe impression from a coaching. If you ever like from the other room heard Joe coaching, like Elizabeth has like heard me do enough of these initial consult follow-ups that she's like, she can do the whole thing now. She's like, I'm ready. She does the impressions of me. She's my favorite one-liners. Is there like a juicy metaphor or an aphorism that Joe often uses? Give it to me. I need it. Well, he's like very loud. Sometimes I'm like, I think you're blowing out their headphones. You know, I'm like, I really didn't do that loud. He's like, hey, how's it going? Drink it. He always has a cup of coffee. Sometimes I make it. Pour over. Um, and how's it going? So let's get in. What's been going on? And then, um, he says, and this is a really beautiful saying. I think a great acting teacher maybe said it to him, but he's always like, champions adjust. You got in there and you adjust it. Champions adjust. And I mean, it is, it's a perfect saying for an actor. I mean, we all should say it in life, but like, and talk about this last couple of years, we've all had to learn how to pivot. Ain't that the truth? Champions adjust. Champions adjust. And something you've been doing your whole career, clearly, um, after every night and every role. I love it. Um, Maybe one one last question before the game. Um, It's maybe a little bit of an an embarrassing one for you. Is like, you are someone that I I hear often from our students. Like, I want to be her when I grow up. Right. Which I think is like distinct from like plenty of people. You'd be like, I want that career. I'd love to do that show. Right. But like people like want to be you as a human being. Like They just think you would be a great person to be. First, is that something that you feel? Like, do you feel that that adoration and that from from young people? And if so, is there any kind of, I don't know, is there any sense of burden or expectation in like the way you now live your somewhat public life, knowing, you know, that there might be young people who are looking up and going, I want to be like Annalie. Well, that's the nicest compliment ever. That's so, yeah. so sweet. Um, well, hey, I I think that not very many people have been like, I want to be you. <laughs> Maybe they just <laughs> say it to me. Face. To me, they're like, I want to be here. So it's really sweet. But if, if somebody told me that, I'd be like, that is the kindest and the sweetest. And I guess I, everything we've been talking about is really just sort of shaped, you know, who I am on the day-to-day. And I think, like, the, the humbling moments are the best ones, even though they hurt mm. the most and they're the hardest. Um. But I think they kind of keep it in balance. This this career life world and this business is extremely out of balance. Mm-hmm. So, like, I guess my advice to people is that's I that's so kind. And if I could share anything that is helpful, I would say don't look side to side in the race because mm. and also it's not a race. Mm. And just look straight ahead. Like, don't compare yourself to other people. And just tr- try to live by the words of the great Dame Helen Mirren. Be on time and try not to be a dick. I love it. Um, okay, let's get to our second game, which was, speaking of the wonderful Joe Tapper, um, we do play a unique game with each of our artists. I try to create a game for, for, for an artist. And I asked Joe, would you prefer a kind of silly improv game or like a competitive trivia game? And he made a selection. So this is our pre-game newlywed style game is what do you think Joe picked for you? Oh, gosh. He probably said I'm competitive. That's 100% right. A competitive trivia game. I hope that's what you want. I did actually consider doing a newlywed style game with you, but I thought it would be too embarrassing if Joe doesn't get to be part of it too to like, you know, make him give answers and all that. But also like he sucks because I'd be better at an improv game. 
Because I'm correct. I was shocked on. that that was the answer. I was like, really? I was I was ready to make a silly improv game. But we have trivia game. This is a game I'm very proud of. We play unique games, but I may have to bring this back because I, I really like it. This is six degrees of Annalie Ashford. Okay. So I'm going to ask you some Jeopardy-style questions about some of your colleagues throughout your illustrious career. You've already gotten one of the little previews of what the James Earl Jones Theater is going to okay. be. So these are simple, trivia-style questions. You may answer in the form of what is or who is if you want okay. bonus points in terms of the, the Jeopardy of it all. Okay. So I'll give you the first question, which you already know was in, in exciting recent news. Your can't take it with, you can't take it with you castmate, James Earl Jones, was just announced as having this Broadway theater named after him. What is the court theater? 100% correct. Because that was a warm-up question since you already great, got great. it. They're going to get harder. The questions are going to get harder. Oh. Jake Gyllenhaal, your Sunday in the Park with George Costar, starred in this 2001 cult classic movie, which was later later turned into a cult classic musical by Cinco Paul and Ken Dario. Cult classic music movie from 2001. Is it so? Oh, 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 it's the it's Bubble Boy. What the, What is it? What is Bubble Boy? We're looking what for is what, is okay, what is Bubble Boy. What is Bubble Boy? I almost said Very Zodiac. Good. I was like, two, two for two. You're doing school. great. No, you did great. Okay. Thomas Middleditch, your mm -hmm. current co-star of Be Positive, played a small role in this 2018 movie named after a children's game. Children's game. Oh, it sucks. Can you give me a hint? Um, the game involves running. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Hide and seek? I don't great know. Great guess. That's a great guess. It would have been what is hide and seek, but it's what is tag. There's a movie called Tag. Oh, Thomas good for you, that. Thomas. The questions are getting harder. Michael Sheen, star in Master of Sex, made his Globe debut while he was still a student studying at which prestigious drama school? I should say at this prestigious drama school to follow the Jeopardy. Uh, what is Rada? What is Rada is correct. You're doing fantastically, Annalie. Josh Sagara co-star in Dogfight and a Mapping College Edition guest, bared it all for Amy Schumer in this 2015 comedy, also starring Bill Hader and LeBron James. What is Trainwreck? What is Trainwreck is correct. You're doing- He was so good in that movie. He was very super well. funny. He really was. I thought that was fun, funny. Okay. Sarah Paulson, co-star in American Crime Story, previously, previously starred in this short-lived NBC so-called comedy drama series, which might in fact be aptly described as a drama about a comedy. Oh my gosh, I don't know. But I know I've seen pictures of it. What is Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip? Ah, the shucks. worst thing you that Aaron Sorkin ever wrote. I was just going to say, if you'd said it was Aaron Sorkin, I forgot she was in it. Yeah, she was. I mean, she was right. great. The show was not, it wasn't Aaron's best work. We're going to be, we're big fans, <laughs> but it wasn't his best work. Um, Will Brill, your You Can't Take It With You co star and my former classmate, stars in this Netflix mystery series, which would not be an acceptable two letter word in Scrabble. Oh, um, wait, it's the one where they like go like this. Mm -hmm. That is not an acceptable answer. What, where they go like this will not give Shucks, you the I can't think of answer. the name of it right now. Beep. OA. What is the OA? Oh. What is the okay, OA? Okay, okay, okay. okay, Timothy Chalamet, co-star in A Rainy Day in New York, in his breakout year of 2017, was in the films Call Me By Your Name, Hot Summer Nights, Hostels, and what Best Picture Oscar-nominated film? Um, that, that movie that Beanie was in too, mm -hmm. and, um, and Circe Ronan and what's mm -hmm. it, uh, okay, uh, it's called like Metal Lark or something. <laughs> 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 
Lady that Bird, Lady Bird. What is Lady Bird? That's the most musical theater answer. It's called like Meadowlark. Lady Bird? Is it called Lady the Bird? answer is Lady Bird. Fantastic. Good. It's like Lady Bird, Meadowlark. It totally makes sense. You did fantastically in that game. I can't believe. I was I was going to be impressed if you got more than half and you got like 75%. Okay, that great. I felt that was hard because some of them were yeah. like, tag, I would have never gotten that. Oh, that was hard. I, I I don't know. I tried to make some of them so they weren't just all. I didn't know the level. I, Joe said you were going to be competitive. We didn't know the level of it all. Um, I'd love to just wrap up with, you know, in your experience working with and kind of teaching and, um, you know, anytime you're greeting young artists today, I'd love to kind of talk a little bit about like, what do you feel like they know better than our generation? So if there's something that you feel like, you know, I really am impressed with young people and their ability to do X. I'm really impressed with like young people's awareness of social justice and politics. And I know we're living in a time when they feel much more heated than they were back in, you know, back in my day. Mm-hmm. Um, but you didn't I, even vote, or you don't know if you voted. You might have voted. You kind of voted. Well, I well, I did, but I just couldn't remember. I was like, what, you voted was a couple I times, in college but... at that moment? Where was? Anyways, because also because uh, I wasn't a New York resident when I was in college. So you for sure. Vote for your local stuff, which is mm-hmm. so much more important now than it. It always should have been important, but you know. Um, but I think the point is, is that I'm really excited by how aware people are about the shows, young people are about the shows that they are doing, how they can be a reflection of where we are in the world. And that is the Mm -hmm. point of theater and art. It's to Mm -hmm. be a reflection of life. Hold that mirror to nature. And, and sometimes that's something you learn a bit, a little bit later, um, as an artist, and how about how you want to change the world with your art? Mm-hmm. And I think that's sort of something that the younger generation is more uh, aware and keen on, and you know, about making art that they respect and want to make and want to do. And I think that's exciting. And what about the converse? Is there something that you feel like, okay, my generation, given the way that we were trained, the way that we learned, is there something that you go, if I could speak to someone ten to fifteen years younger than me? was something that they they could they could learn from you or that they could hold on to that you feel like you know what we actually know this a little more than than they know um well i think one thing that i always say to young actors is um you know I, i talked about it earlier about the balance and making sure that you take care of yourself and self care is i think a bigger conversation than it was when we were growing up Mm -hmm. so what I think is part of being self-care, part of self-care as an actor is um, I think therapy is invaluable. I think we have a really challenging um, profession that makes us not only look at ourselves and where we are in the world and compare ourselves to other people, and but makes us look at ourselves physically in a way that can be, you know, hard to manage and navigate. And um, it, there's a lot of like learning to love yourself because mm-hmm. it's so much rejection in so many different ways. Um, there's like a million reasons that you won't get a job. And so mm-hmm. you have to like learn to be okay with that. Um, and then also I think meditation, I think yoga, I think moving your body because it's good for your spirit. And um, there's all these things that help you navigate, like learning how to be grounded and, um, and also navigate the rejection of it all. And use your body as an instrument. So I would say um, to lean into the juggle, like lean into how difficult it is, 
you know, don't be afraid of how hard it is because I think while we were not good at taking care of ourselves and we didn't have good self care, um, and I, I think we leaned in too hard sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. like, do you need to have five jobs? No, but mm-hmm. I encourage you to have like one or two for sure mm-hmm. when you're in college. Um, mm-hmm. it's important. It's important to push yourself. Um, mm-hmm. And not that I don't think people are doing that, but I just think it's a great reminder that there yeah. needs to be a balance. I, that's so well said, because I feel like the two images you hear are those those poles, right? You see the person who is studying all, all day, and then they go to the next thing, and they do their thing, and they're you know sort of going so hard on themselves, versus the idea of I meditate, and I only self-care, and there's no rigor involved, and, and finding that balance between how do you maybe have some of both, that there is some rigor, but also some ease in there. There's going to be really hard stuff. And that's part of the magic of it. It's so true. Um, Annalie, thank you so much for your time on the, the pod today. Anything you need to plug? I know, so season two of Be Positive is happening now, right? Yeah, we finished We finished up soon. And then um, American Crime Story Impeachment is actually going to be on Hulu now. So you can watch mm. it on Hulu starting, I think, Love. like next week. And then, um, and then I'm filming right now a new series for Hulu, a limited series. Um, there's It's the untitled immigrant oh, project it's the about untitled the immigrant project yeah Not i don't know what the title it is no um but uh but yeah so that's gonna be fun it's it. yeah that'll come out probably next year um well annalee thank you so much for the time it was really a pleasure to get a chat with you especially so early in the morning on your end oh my gosh my pleasure you guys have a good one and the sun's like yeah. totally up now Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to Anna Lee as much as I enjoyed chatting with her. Uh, she is so smart and open and funny and so generous with her laughter. Like even when she missed one of my dumb jokes, she would like go back a couple seconds and laugh at it, which I think is the mark of a truly kind person. Um, we hit a bunch of stuff in this episode at some length, so I don't have a ton of a deeper dive, but I thought I would just take a little glance at this concept of rigor that we talked about right at the end. Or I, I use the word rigor. You, you could use the word drive or what it is to work really hard. Um, at the end, you heard us chatting a bit about that balance and kind of how you juggle the idea of self-care and what you can achieve. But I think a point worth hitting is that the reason for self-care, which some people feel like, oh, it gets frou-frou or it's a little, oh, self-meditation or whatever. But the point of that is to allow for rigor, right? In the same way that we talked about the importance of safety with Alejandro and, and the idea of what it is to create a safe space, the whole point of a safe space is to allow for artistic bravery and risk-taking, right? If you aren't in a safe space, you won't be able to be vulnerable and take risks. In that same way, the point of self-care, Annalie mentioned stuff like physical fitness, meditation, therapy, is to allow you to health- healthily access the rigor needed to succeed in this business, right? We take care of ourselves so that we can work hard. Um, to make my sports analogies, I can't help it. You hear about athletes spending a million dollars on their bodies in the off season, like LeBron James now spends a million and a half dollars every year just on his self-care. It is precisely so that they can perform at the highest level day to day, day in and day out during the season. And for actors, part of that performance is definitely those eight show weeks playing a lead on Broadway. That's maybe more specifically athletic in the way that the sports analogy, but part of it is the grind of juggling three survival jobs while trying to put together multiple self tapes that feel like they're going nowhere. And what's the point of it all, right? There's real grind involved there without the positive feedback of adoring audiences. And it takes real drive. It takes real rigor to surmount those obstacles that come in the ups and downs of a career in this business. 
So all that's really to say that it's not so much an either or, it really is a both, right? Annalie is someone who worked insanely hard. I mean, she graduated high school and college in three years. Oh my gosh. In her life and in her career, right? And she dedicated her self-care. Her dedicated self-care allows her to continue to work hard, including stuff like waking up at 6 a.m. to do a podcast before going to PT and then an incredibly busy performing and parenthood life. And, and to be successful in this business, there is some level of that kind of drive needed in all but the true exceptions of cases. You know, maybe there's the, the random exception where someone just hits it big and then lives a life of leisure. But that is the exception and not the rule in this business. Most people who found a real level of success are able to work very, very hard and set themselves up successfully with what is the care they need to enable them to work that hard. Well, if you enjoyed this episode and you want to check out some more from us, don't forget to hit that plus button on your Apple feed. Follow us wherever you're following us. We suggest five stars of a rating if you're down with the fleeting nature of life and an ironic five stars if you believe on some level that you can take it with you. You can also reach out to us with questions for the pod at mailbag at mappingthecollegeedition.com or Megan and me directly. I'm at Charmer7 and she's at MeganMarie2014. And give us a follow. Don't follow Annalie. She has enough followers. We said that already. Um, if you want to work with MTCA for help with your individual prep for your college audition journey and learn that champions adjust, please check us out at mtcollegeauditions.com. You can also check us out on YouTube. We are now successfully on YouTube. You can just like Google Musical Theater College Editions and you'll see us come up and subscribe to the feed. You'll get to listen to these episodes and also some little video versions of some of these episodes coming as well. To my young artists out there mapping their journeys, listen to Helen Mirren, be on time, don't be a dick. We'll see you next week. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.